Peter. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> no prep, just walked in the door. Um, and you're on the Holistic Resistance Podcast, Rewild Podcast, and all the above here. This is really a conversation. So I just want to kind of establish who you are and how you define yourself right now and sort of the context of kind of your work and, and how you have been reaching specifically around diversity in the Rewild Portland Podcast, our podcast, Rewild Community. But let's talk first about just who you are and then we'll get more into details of all that. Cool. Uh, my name's Peter Michael Bauer and uh, I'm the founder of Rewild Portland. I'm also the author of a book called Rewild or Die under the pen name or moniker Urban Scout. I've um, been thinking about the ideas of rewilding for probably most of my life, but like really focused. When I turned 16, I ran away from home, dropped out of high school um, to learn wilderness survival, thinking that the collapse of civilization was going to happen relatively soon. Um, <laughs> and then that didn't happen. So I started a nonprofit and started teaching skills and just trying to connect people uh, to nature and work to, uh, a lot on sort of um, rewilding my own mind. And um, anyway, I just realized somewhere in there that if if I wanted rewilding to become a bigger, stronger movement, I was going to have to figure out ways of including everybody. Um, and I didn't really think about that. Uh, I didn't really give it much focused thought because, you know, you, I think as a white person, I just created this thing thinking, well, this is for everybody. Like, I'm not racist. And so anybody who shows up will, like, know that. But then, of course, the only people who show up, if I'm not outwardly um, connecting with other communities are going to be white people, um, which is what happened. In fact, originally it was just a bunch of white men um, and a friend of mine. We had a free class that we ran on the last Saturday of every month, uh, kind of, you know, just a bunch of anarchists hanging out in the park, teaching skills to whoever would listen. And, uh, you know, um, a, one of my friend's girlfriends showed up once and, and they said that they started calling it the super secret boys club. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not what we, you know, that's not what I want to have happen with this. So then that's actually that I realized, okay, well, if that's what's happening, I'm not like putting effort into like who's being invited. Yeah. How is this space being more inclusive? Um, and now actually, like if we look at our demographics, on at least like on our, on our Facebook or something like that, um, our organization is like majority female. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, you know, like it's like 64, uh, 45% wise, you know, as far as who's liking what we're doing. And then also, you know, I think a lot of that has to do too with, um, as an organization, I've shied away from the word survival and stuff like that, um, specifically to uh, focus more on the living aspect, like ancestral living versus survival. And I think ancestral living is much more craft and handwork oriented. And I think a lot of um, the stuff that we do, like basket weaving, for example, has been gendered female, even though none of those things really have any of that. So I think that's one of the reasons why we end up um, having a lot of uh, women at our programs and things like that. Um, but then of course, race is this whole other issue. And I think what really woke me up about that issue a few years ago was, um, there's a program with Portland Parks and eventually they heard about us and they invited us to come teach with them and stuff. And so now we're actually sponsored by Portland Parks um, for our free skills share that happens on the last Saturday of every month. It's really a free class, but um, I was sitting with one of the uh, heads of this program called the Grunt Program. It's a naturalist training program. 
They take um, teenagers, I don't know if they would call them at-risk youth, but they take teenagers from a lot of different demographics and teach them um, natural skills over the period of like six months and then give them jobs that have something to do with nature over the summer. Um, a lot of them work in like the youth conservation crew where they're like pulling, getting paid to pull ivy in the parks and stuff like that all summer, helping out with landscaping and things like that. Uh, but other organizations that are a part of that end up hiring them for different staff. And we've kind of toyed with the idea of um, training one of their staff with our summer camps. Of course, this year we're taking a summer camp hiatus, so that's not going to happen. But um, I was meeting with that person before we went in there because um, maybe a month before this, we were hired to do a program with um, an organization called ERCO. I can't remember the exact acronym, but it's like International Refugees something. And it's it's basically children of refugee families that have immigrated to the United States. And um, we were working with them. And one of the things that we do is like uh, blindfold games to heighten sensory awareness and stuff like that. And um, I pulled out this bag full of bandanas because that's what we use to blindfold. And I start handing them out to these kids. And I go to hand one to this kid and he's like, I ain't putting on a red bandana. And I was like, Oh, I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even think about like that at all. Like totally not in my, and I was just like, wow, I'm like totally culturally incompetent. Like I had no idea. And then we had them, you know, blindfolding each other and leading each other around. Another kid was like, I think he, I don't remember where he was from, but he wouldn't put on the bandana because like his family had been assassinated and they had to have bandanas on, you know, uh, basically when they were held captive and all this stuff. So there's just like this, like, Oh my God, I'm so white. I'm so ignorant. I'm white American middle-class. I grew up in this, in the Shire, essentially. I have no concept of what the outside world is like. And I really, if, if rewilding needs to catch on in this way, then I really need to start becoming more aware of this. So then when the grunt program asked us to work with them, I, I was like, will you do a training for our staff before we go in there? Because this thing happened and I just want to be aware, you know, I want to be aware of what we're walking into when we're teaching these skills so we can figure out a way of doing them, but in a way that like is comfortable for everybody, because I don't, I don't want to like trigger anybody, especially like a child whose parents or family were, you know, being held prisoner or something like, like that. That's so far out of my scope of what of a human's experience, especially a child, you yeah. know, like it's yeah. just, it was mind blowing in, in terms of that. So, you know, um, so we did this training with them. And one of the things that she said was like, well, how much has your organization done uh, for, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion? And I was like, well, you know, Portland is like super white. So we just don't really even think about it all that much, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> she was just right. like, she was just like, yeah, no, that's, that's not an excuse you can use this actually that there are actually very diverse pockets of this and they're major, they're much more underserved than the other other demographics so you can't use that excuse and I, and I was like oh okay as far as timeline how long ago was that you know in the progression of that conversation ish to now three years ago two years ago what was that I mean that was a while ago you know okay. I mean it was probably I'd say four or five years ago okay. now so five years um, maybe. And so, you know, we've done like baby steps kind of a thing. Um, and I think, I mean, specifically, so anyway, that got us thinking, okay, well, this is an issue we need to think about. And 
Um, you know, one of the one of the populations that we've done a lot with is um, me specifically, not necessarily organization, but just working with native populations of the Portland area. Um, Portland has like uh, one of the highest percentages of Native Americans in the city than any city in the United States. Wow. A lot of people were um, pushed here for various reasons. So there's an organization called NEA, Native American Youth and Family Association, and they do a lot of work with that population. Um, there's also the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, which is what I ended up um, kind of becoming a part of their language community and learning Chinook Wawa so that, you know, there was this idea for me of, um, I want to speak the language of the land here. You know, you go to another country and you want to learn the, their language so that you can speak with them out of respect. And so for me, part of learning the language here was that kind of idea. Um, and it's a rare thing. I mean, I think there's maybe even within the tribe itself, there's only a couple hundred fluent speakers of this language. And there's a lot of politics and a lot of stuff around that. So I don't really want to go down that route. That's a whole other thing. Um, but we started focusing on different groups and trying to figure out how to... Um, make it accessible, but a large part of it is just, you know, um, so then I guess, um, I don't want to say it's because Trump got elected because I don't think that's what happened. I think that was just part of the whole thing that's going on right now. Um, but you know, the term rewilding has been what I would call co-opted by, um, privileged white men and, yeah is being promoted in this particular way that is then only allowing that kind of population to, right. to be part of it. Um, specifically, you know, I have, I'm managing all of these different aspects of the rewilding movement as far as my work as a catalyst for it. We have like my own personal essays and things that I write, I guess you would call it a personal brand. I hate that stuff, but you know, mm -hmm. urban Scout slash Peter Michael Bauer that I have this sort of platform that I've created. The second thing is uh, the rewild.com website, which was an international forum for people to discuss rewilding. Um, now it's essentially more of the Facebook group, the rewild.com Facebook group. Um, and then there's Rewild Portland, which is the organization specifically that I have here in town. Um, and kind of the different facets of that. Echoes in Time is one of those programs that was sort of separate, but it is now integrated into Rewild Portland. And so what I've been trying to do is across the board hit these multiple uh, platforms or multiple projects that I'm working on. Um, and so one of the things that I started when I started kind of thinking about how can I. Uh, so first of all, we started the Rewild Facebook group in response to this other Facebook group of about rewilding that was basically full of actual white supremacists, not just like ignorant white people who don't understand like white privilege but it was literally uh people posting horrible racist memes and my partner at the time was like messaging the moderators who are not there anymore it's, that form doesn't even exist anymore but um you know was messaging these moderators and they weren't doing anything about it and i was like well we have to do something about it and i i don't want rewilding the term rewilding to just become destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, and so i in response created the rewild.com forum and i was like we have to basically vet uh, who our members are. And then and, and so that was kind of happening, but I don't honestly spend a ton of time on Facebook. And so one of the things, uh, there was only one moderator really doing anything and he kind of came to us and was like, man, this, you're missing this, but it's like all of a sudden there's all these white supremacists like migrating into here because they closed this other forum. And uh, so then I was like, okay, well, 
what we need to do is elevate the leadership, diversify the leadership of this forum. And it's like you and I have talked about, I don't, I'm not just going to throw anybody in there. Um, and so I was watching the forum to see uh, who in the forum from different backgrounds uh, w- was actively engaged in it and could communicate in the way that our forum guidelines followed. Um, and I saw you in there and I uh, saw that you, you know, it's funny because yesterday at the workshop, your brother was like, somebody was like, well, you know, if there's only one black person at this conference. and I don't want to go up and just talk to them because they're black, you know. Um, so that's going on in my mind, you know, as, as I see your photograph and stuff. And so you were doing the earth building and I was like, that's the end. I'm going to talk to you about earth building. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, tell me more about this. And we had like an interesting conversation about that. And then um, I could just tell that you were an awesome person and mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you, you you basically embodied the the energy that we, that I feel would a cultural ambassador, you know, mm-hmm. like being able to meet halfway and mm-hmm. like have a dialogue and especially just your like desire to be real with people mm. and honest and, and all this stuff like it, it was just so awesome and I was like okay let's have a Skype conversation and then you said yes to being the moderator and that was like you know <laughs> a huge deal because yeah. um, you know just baby stepping this thing forward um, so that's like one aspect of it mm-hmm. and so you stepped into that role mm-hmm. which was great and then I actually didn't even think that you or I would interact in real life per se because mm-hmm. you know like i said there's sort of these i have these delineated pr- projects you know there's like the online rewild community then there's like the rewild portland community and then there's my own like writing and whatever um and so then i had the opportunity to hang out in la when i went down there and i think that that's that was like yeah. you know seeing bill too bill is one of those people that you know you know he lives down in california i rarely see him but it's still this online uh, it changes everything when you meet in person. And so it was really awesome to come down and be able to meet you and, um, and Bill at the same time, like yeah. two, mo- like three, three moderators, like hang out. That was awesome. Um, and then the fact that you were like willing to come to echoes in time kind of mm-hmm. blew my mind. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this isn't just, you know, you're not just going to be this part of this online thing, which you totally could have been. And, and still, you know, maybe that that'll happen if the economy collapses and we can't move very easily anymore around, you know, through gas prices or something. But it was just like, um, it's been great to have you coming to Portland and then also integrating into the project here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, um, because my mind, because I'm doing all of these different things, it's really hard for me to like engage fully, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like one of the things I'm doing is like, I'm playing chess and I'm like putting these pieces in place or like getting the spark going and then like knowing that like other people have got that part going. Um, and I just want to uh, just say thanks to Mindy specifically for like really reaching out to you also. And like, and in a way that I, I don't think I could have um, just for my own personal, whatever, mm-hmm. like whatever mm-hmm. issues I have, you know, like, but it was one of those things where it's like our community here is super strong and mm-hmm. it's because um, of the curation of like just really yeah. great people. Yes. Um, and so I feel like, you know, especially bringing you here with that, with the workshop and stuff that it's just, um, I don't know if you, you know, if I'm just rattling off, I don't know if you have any questions well, or what I'm just. I, I'm, I'm not interrupting you because you're, you're answering the questions I was okay. going to ask. Okay, and cool. So yeah. you're covering all the ground that I was going <laughs> to, so why get in the awesome. way of your sure. coverage? Okay. okay, cool. If there is any curation to this conversation, I was curious about the workshop and I want to say that yeah. because of. 
Totally. Um, I might try to snag you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. um, but in this conversation here for the next 10 minutes, I would like you to kind of, to, it's been kind of a, I felt like kind of a jump cut. Because, I mean, you think about it, this right now is part of the fourth time I've seen you in person yeah. in life. Yeah. Everything else is either virtual or just spiritual, like in our heads mm-hmm. thinking of each other. <laughs> right. And that matters. But mm-hmm. I think what's in power is that moderation happened. We saw each other in LA. That was significant. That was like a three-hour great park conversation. Yeah. That was important. Yeah. We covered a lot of ground. It was doing a lot of protests happening with the uh, the pipelines during that time. Oh, I remember right. that came up yeah, in that conversation. Yeah. I thought it flowed really nicely. It was organic. Mm-hmm. You were kind of tired because you came back from a gathering. That was a, a memorial service, I believe. Was, oh, yeah, that's right. There was a lot happening yeah, emotionally, totally. but we were able to show up and connect. Yeah. Um, and then it was like at that time I said, what's the dates for Echoes in Time? I kind of solidified that's going to happen. And then it was like months later, I show up at Echoes in Time, and that was a lot took place in a very short period of time. And so I kind of want to jump cut from Echoes in Time and like those conversations that we had in the evening and kind of just realizing what it would look like for African heritage persons to be in a place. And you made that happen to me being the first African-American, African heritage person to teach at Echoes in Time in almost 20 years or more. That's a major choice you had to make. And there were some learnings that happened, I feel, as we went through that experience. And then we just had a workshop yesterday, right? And that was like the next step. Like that happened almost a year ago. And now we had a workshop yesterday. I'm curious if you can kind of give me a kind of your perspective of like witnessing that and supporting that happening. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know. You know, when you came to Echoes, I was just thinking we were going to hang out. You were going to do the building stuff like I didn't know we were going to have this like these intense uh ca- essentially like a council type conversations with you and Portia um and you know I think everybody who was a part of that and and it was important that it was just you know I think for that aspect of it was creating a safe space for you to be like okay I'm surrounded by like people who actually get this stuff and I don't have to like worry as much as I would otherwise so it's creating this like cultural container for you and for anybody who comes after that there is a safe space there at least you know in this particular in an uncomfortable space there is a safe space pocket whatever um and again you know it's like that uh it's like the bandana thing where you know um being able to communicate with you in a way that was like open and casual but also very real and intense um gave me more perspective on like being a cultural ambassador. And I keep thinking of that as the, as the term, because I feel like, you know, you throw a bunch of people together and, you know, I think especially people with white privilege, they're just like, well, how come we just can't get along? Like, what do you mean? We can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're not looking at themselves as a cultural ambassador. They're not recognizing that they're coming to uh, a council meeting essentially with somebody that has a completely different story than they do. And um, in order to like, before you can move forward with somebody, you have to know their story and, and feel it on a, on a deeper level. And so I feel like that's, um, you know, going through this workshop, which was essentially very similar to our experiences and that you led with us at Echoes in Time. Um, I feel like it's this, it's almost like training white people to be cultural ambassadors in this mm-hmm. way, like to, to show up in a way that is um, willing to see the other person's story, hear their grief, acknowledge them, understand the things that 
might not I don't want to say trigger, but just understanding their story so that not that you're not offending them or you're not triggering them because you know like you're saying that's just stuff that happens but you just be aware of that and be able to work through it and acknowledge the pain as it comes up and Mm -hmm. move through it together as opposed to just like trying to ignore it or tiptoe around it or something like that um and so i really feel like that's like is, you know, laying the groundwork for a lot of the people who come to Echoes to be able to to step up and, and do that. Because, you know, Echoes is just open to the public, so anybody can come there. We're not, we don't know who's going to be there, but I do know who's going to be there to an extent. There's like a core group of people who come back year after year. And so for me, like, um, again, I like putting these pieces in place and in a, uh, like a chessboard or something like that. And so I can't do a lot of this, but as an organizer, I can put the right people in the right place. And it's been great to have you there as one of these pieces that's like then aligning all of these other people so that when we start getting more people of different backgrounds, there will be uh, cross-cultural training or or cultural ambassador training um, that will lead to probably less conflict, but also like better conflict. Yeah. Um, And... uh, I don't know if I'm still just kind of <laughs> no, no. I think I think you you bring up exactly a model, almost a next step conversation, which was like kind of last question for today. Um, is that I came here. This is my second time here. I've been here for a couple of days, <laughs> a couple more days, and it was an, a big emotional calorie burn. But I feel like I wouldn't even attempted to burn those if it wasn't a reach. And I think what's significant, I often say at the workshops, I say when I hang out with people is that there's not enough questions being asked, there's not enough reaching taking place. And even if you do it badly, I think that, badly in a sense, I think you did a great job when you first found me on Facebook. But it's it's, it's this idea sometimes badly is looked at as, I tried as bad and I don't try as good. And and the idea of not trying is also bad. And I think that's something that needs to get some more respect in the context of bad behavior for white people is like, freezing is actually a problem. Totally. Um, And I think for me, you didn't freeze and because you reached and because you've, you've, you put risks to invite me to reckless in time, that could have went bad in multiple ways, but it didn't. And I think your instincts were great. And Mindy is kind of the, the silent conversationalist here. I, I want to bring her into this narrative eventually. Yeah. Because I think it's really important that you look at Portland and you look at Southern California. Culturally, you couldn't even get two white people to really see eye to eye. From those that add race to it and you're on right. a different planet all totally. of a sudden. Yeah. But yet, we're able to reach for each other. And so the punchline I like to just kind of settle with here is, you said this is not a movement unless everyone can be a part of it. And I just want to just speak a little bit to that idea because I think it kind of touches the heart of the journey that me and you are on, um, not just like this weekend, not just because totally. Trump's in office. Not, and we started before Trump's, for the record. Right, yeah, totally. He wasn't even on the, on the, yeah, on the landscape right. when we first interacted. Totally. So it's going to be clear about that. Yeah. And now that he's here, he'll be gone. But going forward... How does that feel for you? If it's, everyone can't be a part of this, it's not a movement. How did that kind of thinking come into place, and and how does that sit with it going forward? Um. I personally have a really hard time doing things by myself. However, that's changed over the last couple of years. But I've always been a hyper social person, you know, um, and when I look at things like willpower or something like that, you know, you walk into a room and let's say five people are watching television. 
you're going to just sit down and start watching television too, right? You walk into a room and there's no television and people are sitting in a circle talking, you're going to sit down and talk with them. So there's this um, powerful, you know, uh, ability to choose based on the cultural dynamic of like, what, how are we framing this? And the more people that are invested in a thing, the more the easier it is for the individual to do it. And so what I see when I look at uh, something like rewilding is how can I create a cultural container that makes this easy for me? It's almost in a sense, it's almost kind of selfish. You know, um, it's that thing of like altruism and selfishness are kind of like two ends of the same thing, because if you're helping other people and you're getting help out of that, there's like, I think it's part of the intrinsic aspect of human nature in a sense is um, give support, get support, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about that on a larger scale, I have a really hard time personally, not just uh, going with the flow or whatever, but what I know how to do is alter that flow or, or try to create a situation that then something becomes easier for me. So when I think of, uh, so that's one element of it, I think. Another element is uh, just oppression at large. Everybody in civilization is oppressed on some level or not. You know, um, I'm, I'm working on this idea of sort of inverting the concept of privilege and looking at it less of, um, of, a, of a level of priv privilege, but a level of like how oppressed somebody is. And if you flip it on the, on the head like that and, and you... I feel like it allows people, I feel like the word privilege is sort of this hot button thing that can make people feel alienated from one another because it's like, oh, you're getting more benefits than me rather than putting it in this framework of like, you're less, you know, screwed over than I am or something like that. But, but we're both screwed over. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when we look at it, the word privilege, I, I, that's kind of like one of the issues I have with that word. I understand it. I recognize it. And I acknowledge that that's a thing. So I'm not like, I don't want to talk bad about that. But I also think that there's this element for me of like, how am I, how's my oppression, even though I'm a white male and I have white privilege, but that, what does that mean? Like, I'm still screwed over by the powers that be or the, or the cultural system at large. Yeah. Um, and so how can I uh, use that as my thread to connect with people? Mm -hmm. And then how can I also use the advantages that I have to leverage that system to free everybody so that we can collectively move this thing forward because that's what it's going to take is collective action um, to dismantle this system. And if it's only just, uh, and that, that's another one of the aspects of privilege is like, you know, especially in terms of rewilding, you you have like two sides of this, of, of rewilding. You know, if you're less screwed over or more privileged than mm -hmm. a lot of other people, you have money, you can actually buy these freedoms. But yeah. if you're buying them, they're not real, it's temporary. Yeah. It's a yeah. fiscal freedom, you know? Mm -hmm. um, whereas people that are on the bottom of the pyramid or are more screwed over, uh, you know, for whatever other term than other people, um, especially people in like other countries that are, you know, quote unquote, third world countries or less um, financially, uh, you know, fact, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, you know, where people are making nothing, they're being mm -hmm. oppressed by, mm -hmm. in a way that is invisible to the United States or, mm -hmm. or people here. Like, there's all these different dimensions of intersectionality. Yes. So, like, some people are forced to rewild. They don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because... And, and for me, from my perspective, that's actually the more authentic way of doing it because there's no there's no choice there. It's, uh, it's life or death. Yeah. Um, 
and I think about, especially uh, in terms of the frontier, like of the United States, for example, um, the colonial frontier, beyond the colonial frontier was a wave of people fleeing the colonial frontier. And that wave existed of displaced Native Americans, escaped slaves, uh, and escaped or disenfranchised white uh, endangered servants or people just white people who were not interested in joining the colonial narrative once they realized there was mm-hmm. a secondary option mm-hmm. um and so that's kind of that that interesting middle ground there that's just beyond the frontier mm-hmm. that's this um they called them uh, they used to call them i don't think this is a, a politically correct or or culturally acceptable anymore but they called them tri-racial isolates mm-hmm. and it was like this group of diverse communities that were existing beyond civilization mm-hmm. um trying to make do with in the wreckage uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the wake of this thing mm-hmm. um and that how that's rewilding yeah. right they didn't call it that there was mm-hmm. never a term for that um and and i'm using that as a historical framework just in this conversation but that exists currently everywhere yes. everywhere yes. right now we just can't, it's invisible to us yeah. or invisible to me rather because i have white privilege because i was born in this because i'm still like a, a, a chained to the system in a way where my mental health allows me to function relatively within this system mm-hmm. and my skin color and other things allow me to function relatively but I think one of the first communities of rewilders that I really got connected to was a queer land project outside Bellingham. And um, I remember going up there, they ran the first rewilding free skill series um, sort of uh, that we had, we were trying to encourage people to do this through our website, rewild.com. And um, they were the first ones to really do this whole weekend long experience, you know, where people came up and camp for days on this property and we like taught each other skills and they had this whole thing of like setting up safe space and what that meant. And there was just all this dialogue and social technology going in and it wasn't certainly wasn't perfect, um, but it was eye opening to me on a lot of levels. I was like, wow, these this demographic is I hate the word marginalized, but that's, you know, was oppressed in this way that I hadn't really been a part of. And that drove them away from civilization to this place where they were creating this safe space on the fringe in Mm -hmm. the forest. And that was one of the ways they were able to connect with one another and create um, a a life way that actually made sense for them. Um, And that's when I realized, like, you know, the difference between like my privilege versus other people's in, in the context of rewilding and this sort of spectrum of it of like who's able to buy this uh, kind of life way and who's just forced into it because they don't have a choice. And so for me, like this whole idea of creating um, the, the cultural ambassadors and this cross-cultural dialogue and stuff is to basically connect the, those two sides of the thing so that then it becomes this force that can push in the middle, you know? Um, and I don't know if that'll ever like. I think I think there's a couple of things. I think you know, right now we're we're existing under the thumb of empire. It's like, it's like the tectonic plates pressing against one another. You know, there's this thing called um, seismic displacement, where like in China they had one of the largest dams in the world, and the amount of weight from the water um, behind the dams presses down on the tectonic plates. And so they're pushing against each other, but they can't move because there's like a paperweight essentially on the middle of where they're coming together. And they drained the dam, and a month later there was a, one of the largest earthquakes ever in China. And that's because they took all that weight off. The pressure was lifted, and the earthquake happened. Yeah. I think that empire is like that reservoir of water. It's holding this. There's this pressure. We want to move. You know, we want to integrate. We want to 
diffuse the pyramid. But right now there's this weight that's mm-hmm. just preventing that from happening. Yes. And so a lot of the dialogue that we have is just navigating the current existence, like existing with the weight on top of us. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that weight is lifted, the earthquake happens. Yes. Right? Yes. And we're just kind of waiting for that yes. to happen, you know. Um, and we we can't necessarily make it happen, no. but what we can do is like lay this foundation so that mm-hmm. when it does, we're already five exactly. steps ahead. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's kind of you know I don't know if that <laughs> no that nailed it that, was, that that I am visibly seeing the quivers of it yesterday, the quivers of it the day before, the quivers of it to be how we reach for each other. So I couldn't ask for a better analogy of like what I've been feeling and, and what I've been sensing. Thank you, man, yeah, so much. Uh, we got to do this a couple more times. Awesome. This is, I'm just getting warmed up. There's a, there's a 10 hour yeah, conversation yeah, we're gonna have fully, that's gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah. thank you for coming yeah. in and doing this yeah, real quick. And obviously my day has been, um, is full in a lot of ways, but this is a gift yeah. on multiple levels that only have this podcast, but also to talk to you uh, in person on this material. Um, so let's be in contact, let's awesome. keep reaching. Sounds good. And, uh, We'll go from there. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.